Here's what I want to do tonight. This is our welcome back party, and I know a lot of you, you're getting ready to maybe start uh, the first semester of college, some of you, or some of you, you're getting ready to go back uh, to college, or some of you, you're just kind of starting a whole new season. So when I was thinking about what we'd talk about tonight and and really thinking what this would be about, I was trying to think, okay, what would best be a good setup for the next semester, next season of your, of your, of your life. Um, and so that's where I want to go tonight. But before we do, let's pray and, um, and just ask God to help us with what, what we're going to do tonight. Father in heaven, I love you, and I just thank you for a moment like this where we can come together. And God, people from all different backgrounds and um, God, all different places with you. Um, and, and God, I just thank you that you've brought us all together uh, tonight and God, I, I have something just ridiculous to ask of you, um, and that's that you might use me in the next few moments here, uh, and that you would speak to me and through me. Um, and God, nobody is here tonight because they need to hear from me, um, but God, we all desperately, like Jed said, God, need to hear from you. So um, God, I ask that you would just move me out of the way, that you would show up. So Holy Spirit, would you come, and would you just move even now? through this room with, with freedom. God, I, I know um, there are people who are already opposed to what we're about to do, just opening your word and hearing from you. God, people who even have doubts that you exist or are real um, or that you even care. And God, I just pray tonight that your word um, silences fear and silences doubt, silences worry. God, maybe even silences anger. Um, and that tonight, God, that you'd just be truly and fully seen for who you are. Jesus, would you be made much of? And God, would we just um, really experience your presence and your power in this place tonight? Jesus, I pray for your help. I love you so much. And it's in your name. Amen. So tell me if this sounds familiar at all to you. Um, The stuff that I don't want to do, I feel like I'm always doing. And the stuff that I don't want to do, I feel like I'm always doing. Right, so so the things that I the things that I want to do I can't seem to do the things that I don't want to do are the things that I always feel like I'm doing. I don't know if I said it right the first time. <laughs> so if you've been a Christian, you've experienced this, and and that kind of phrase comes from the Apostle Paul. He writes about that in the Book of Romans, and and he ha- he gets it feels like he just gets so frustrated. He's like, who will deliver me from this body of death? Like, who will deliver me from this cycle? And, and some of you, you've maybe even had the experience where if you grew up in the church a little bit, you went to some kind of camp thing, and, and you just got like just God was all over you, and you made a commitment that you would never do that thing again. And for some of you, like that thing happened on like the bus ride home or as soon as you got home. I know there's some people, they have these experiences with God where they're like, God, this is it. I'm, I'm just, I'm asking you to just take this from me, whatever this struggle is, whatever this failure, whatever this temptation is. And it's like, God just takes it right there and, and you never have to battle it again or never deal with it again. But for most of us, for most of us, we have this struggle. We have this, okay, I, I know I need to stop doing this or I know I need to start doing this. And we just go round and round and round and it just ends up with us being super discouraged. And when we think about our life as a Christian, all that's in front of us is this, this constant failure, this like habitual, perpetual failure. And for the Christian, the, the truth is, and I, and I do believe this, even though I've experienced everything I just talked about, I, I do believe that, that we as Christians, we don't live our life defined by our failures, although that's where we go to so often. 
but we live by the victory that our king has won for us and that gives us confidence in this life. And the truth is there, there is a war. The scripture talks about that, that this life it is a war. It's a, it's a constant battle. But our king has made a decisive victory and broken the back of the enemy and broken sin so that it doesn't have to reign in you anymore. And he's given us the resources, and that's what we're going to look at, look at tonight, where he's going to give us the resources to chase out these rival affections and desires that are at war in us and around us, competing for our allegiance. In the Christian life, there, it's, it's one movement in, in two parts. It's a movement away from something, and it's a movement towards something. So if you're new to the Christian life or you're not a follower of Jesus or a Christian at all, this let me just kind of explain what that life is. It's a movement away from something and a movement towards something. Now that we've been brought into this relationship because of what Jesus has done on our behalf at the cross, it's a movement away from things that would isolate us from him. And it's a movement towards things that would stir up more intimacy with him. And even if you're not a Christian, you understand that on a relational level. You've been in relationships, and when you get really close or when you would say, that other person is really significant to me, I now move away from things that might isolate me from this person that's significant to me, and I move towards things and move towards the one who's significant to me. Well, in, in, the, in the Christian world, there's a big word for this. It's called sanctification. And, and sanctification means to be set apart or to be holy, which is like to be other than. It's set apart from certain things and set apart towards certain things. Now, theologians, those are guys who study theology, who have studied a lot about what the scriptures and who God is and how God works in the world. They have two words for these movements, this movement to and this movement from. The, the, the first is mortification. Mortification, a lot of you probably know what that word means. It, it means putting to death of old things or old ways of living. There's a mortification that happens in my life. I'm going to put to death these certain things. And then there's vivification. Vivification is new things that I want to bring to life. So there's things in my life I want to put to death, and there's things in my life that I want to see raised up to new life. Paul talks about this when he, when he writes this letter to this young man named Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22. 2, 2, he says this, flee, that is move away from, flee, run from, get as far away as you can from the evil desires of youth and pursue, that is run towards or move towards righteousness, faith, trust in God, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, I have to be really careful before we go any further when we get into this because we don't want to think about this only in terms of our own effort. Because no doubt, if you've been a Christian for any matter of time, you've kind of, you've lived that life where you're like, okay, I'm just, it's going to be straight up willpower. I'm not going to go to that website. I'm not going to go talk to that person. I'm not going to go to that place. I'm not going to talk like that. I'm not going to think like that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. We fall and fail. We're like, okay, I just didn't try hard enough. This is not a message about you just need to try hard enough. Because the truth is that God has put his spirit into us, and as he fights with us and empowers us in this movement. So it's working with God. It's fighting alongside with God, with the power of God in us. Okay, 
So what do we need to run from? Because the, the truth is that our enemy, the deceiver, Satan, he set a goal to get us to sin or to rebel against our king and to be isolated from our enjoyment of him. If the king promises there's joy in me, the scripture says of God, he says, in his hand or in his right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. That's truth. And so what the enemy wants to do is like, I don't want you to experience that. Because if you experience that in real life, that, that'll mean that 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 I can't steer you away to other things. So the goal of the enemy is to steal life. The scripture says, it says that Satan's come to, to kill and to steal and to destroy, to dishonor your king by deceiving you. That's the goal of the enemy. That's a strategy. And he knows how you are wired. He knows that humans are wired with your, your mind, affections, and will. Okay? So there's thinking. There's inclinations. So that's like I want to do something with what I'm thinking about. And then there's a decision-making mechanism. He knows our tendency. And we all have a particular wiring, and the enemy knows that. So he gets us to sin or to rebel against God's rule by soliciting thoughts or selling thoughts to the mind that would stir up affections in our heart, and we enact the will or we, we sin. Meaning we willfully take a step away from our king. And that moment that he solicits thoughts or sells thoughts to stir up affections is called temptation. James, who is the brother of Jesus, he writes about this in James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. He says, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, so track with the process here, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, when it grows up, gives birth to death. Luring the mind's attention, enticing is stirring up the affection. The enemy understands the battle of the mind, because what you think about, if you're writing things down, this is a good little rule for you, for you to have. What you think about is what you'll care about, and what you care about is what you'll chase. What you think about, what your mind dwells on, is what you'll start to care about, what your heart will have an affection towards. And what you care about is what you chase or what you pursue. And so the question is, what, what, do, you, what do you entertain in your mind? What, what, do, you, what do you let in that, that you really start to dwell on, that you really start to think about? Because what you think about determines who you think you are and what you'll love, and what you'll move towards. And, and again, Satan knows this, so he solicits the mind to engage affections, to enact the will, so we will step to a place that we're never meant to be. Let me, let me kind of illustrate this for you. Hopefully this is not too far off. All right, so ladies, for, for you, it might look it might look something like this. You'll just be getting ready in the morning, you're in the mirror, you're just kind of getting ready for your day, and as you are, this thought kind of comes in your mind. You're like, I'm single, and I've been single for a while, and I, why am I single? I shouldn't be single. And then for whatever reason, an Ed Sheeran song comes on Spotify just at, just at that moment, and you just get really, like, frustrated that you're still single, maybe even, like, angry about it. And you're like, it, it just seems like everybody else, everybody else has a boyfriend, everybody else is connected to somebody except for me. You go outside, like, animals are all walking two by two. It's just like the whole world around you. Everybody has somebody except you. And then at that moment, 
your mind engaged, your affections stirred up, your heart's kind of rattled by this, the enemy will present to you a proposition. Well, what if you date that one guy? That guy's a loser, but still, what if you date that guy? And he's beneath you morally, you know it. He's not concerned about pursuing Jesus, you know it. Uh, but you're so desperate in your need and your desire to be with somebody that you sell it all for him and you wind up in a relationship that you were never meant to be in. And that can play out in every area of your life, in, all, in your social media, in your home, with your friends. You allow yourself to be shaped by cultural images and ideas of what matters most, and it feels good. And because it feels good, you move towards it, and you never even consider how it might affect future relationships, or more importantly, how it might affect your enjoyment of Jesus. Or it can go even darker, and, and maybe you can convince yourself that you'll never get the attention that you want from people that you most want it from. So you think horrible thoughts about yourself, and you harm yourself emotionally or physically, and you end up in a place that you were never meant to be. Well, how, does that, how does that happen? Because the enemy solicits the mind, which stirs up affections, and takes you to the step of the will, and you wind up in a place that you were never meant to be. So what do you entertain in your mind? Guys, it's a little bit different for you. You'll just be living your life, and this thought will come in your mind, I should think about naked things. And that's it. That's all for, it takes for you. You just start thinking about naked things. You take a step, and you're off the edge. That's all it takes for, for guys. Here's the point. Every one of us struggles. In 1 John, he says, he who says he does not sin or does not struggle or fail, the Bible says you're a liar. The truth is not in you. It is the height of ignorance to think that you are immune. And the best self-knowledge that you can have as you enter the next semester, the next season of your life, is how does the enemy get me? Because James, when he's saying, he's like, each one of us, we're, we're enticed by our own desire, meaning it's custom made for you. So I, I like to fish. I don't know if anybody in here likes to fish. But when you, when you go fishing, you're trying to find just the perfect lure that will attract the type of fish that you're going for, right? You present that lure, and you throw it in the water, and you're hoping that a fish coming by will see it, and it will get the mind's attention of the fish, right? You, so you throw the little lure. It looks like a frog in there, right? And you, and you hope that you can present that frog in a way to where it looks absolutely delicious to, to a fish, and, and as the lure gets the fish's attention, it stirs his affection and desires. And when that fish enacts his will, you got him. And he's dragged away. So that's what happens with fish. That's how they sound when they're like, ah, oh, man. <laughs> now, there's other fish who are like, a frog, seriously, gross. That you went for the frog, unbelievable. But then they'll see something else and be like, oh, that's shiny, right? That's how we are too. There's a particular lure that works for you that might not work for everybody else. But see, Satan knows that. So don't be, don't be blind to what your particular lure is. And the question that you have to ask yourself, and you have to answer it honestly, is what is the place of my temptation? What is the place of my temptation? Who is the person of my temptation? Now, how do I fight that? In, in the book of Matthew, verse, or chapter 26, Jesus gives his disciples a tool. He says to them, he says, Watch and pray so that you do not enter into temptation. Now, listen to where Jesus is drawing the line for his closest followers, the disciples. He says, Don't even enter in. 
Paul says to set the mind on flesh is death. So the Apostle Paul, he locates it in the mind. He says you have to fight the battle in your mind. If temptation leads to sin, then draw the line ahead of the temptation. Put the fight there. This is why accountability partners, and I, and I hope you have them, and I hope they're great for you, but they, they, for me, they have always failed so often. Because we draw the line after the place of failure on the other side of sin, right? So you go to your small group, you go to RC, and you're like, well, okay, you know, Thursday wasn't very good for me, and Wednesday, actually, I didn't do so hot either, and Monday was a total disaster, right? And you struggle, and I struggle, and we just say, Jesus, we're so sorry, and then we leave. And what the scripture says is don't put the battle line back there at the place of failure, Put it up front, and when the first thought hits your mind, call up somebody from your RCs. Call up somebody from your group and say, and say, look, hey, I need some help because right now I'm thinking these crazy thoughts, and they're fighting for my heart, and I know it's crazy. I know it leads to death. I know where it goes, so come get me. Jesus says if temptation starts here and it leads to death, don't even enter in. Watch and pray. So again, what do you entertain in your mind? What, what do you meditate on? Meaning, what do you think about over and over again? What do you allow to freely just roam around in your mind? Because what you focus your attention on will stir your affection and it will run your life. Watch and guard the mind. For some of you, that does mean that there are places that you don't get to go to anymore. You like to tell yourself, you're like, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to those places because I can be a light in those places. But the truth is, the sights and the sounds and the smells, they put thoughts in your mind that stir up affections, and you always end up in the place that you were never meant to be. So be honest with yourself about where you can go and where you can't go. For some of you, it might be that there's people in your life that, that you can't be around anymore. And, and you're like, no, I got to be with them so I can be a, a light to them. But every time you're with them, thoughts get stirred up, and you end up doing something stupid in destruction. For, for many of you, this, this means restricting what you do or where you go online. Uh, social media, it, it might have aspects of it that spin up in your mind thoughts that lead to an unhealthy place. In, in the book of Proverbs in chapter 5, the, the father is trying to warn his son about where to go and where not to go. And, and, and he says, there's an adulterous woman that lives on that street, so don't even go in the neighborhood. Like, just stay as far away as you can for that. Because the temptation is like, well, I can kind of skirt these things or I can kind of skirt these places or I think I've got enough willpower to where if I'm with them or if I go there or if I look at that, I can kind of stop myself before I do anything stupid. What the, what the wisdom writer says is like, stay away, like as far away that you can. Don't go near the door of her house. I, I did a little kind of personal experiment with myself um, I don't spend a ton of time on social media, and the things that I follow are really lame. I follow, like, this guy who restores old Broncos and, like, a fishing thing. It's, it's lame. It's not even that great. But there's a lot of things that will show up in my, like, Instagram feed that's like, man, I wish I had that. And, and, like, coveting is just huge, huge, huge with me. So in July, I did this little experiment. I was like, okay, I'm going to take, like, all social media off my phone. It kind of helped because I was in Alaska for two weeks. My phone didn't work. That was great. So I kind of cheated that one. I picked a great month for that. And, but I was like, I'm just going to stay off social media. I'm not going to kind of, I'm going to try to literally kind of stay off my phone and, like, web surfing, shopping, whatever, all that kind of stuff. And it felt great. 
and August 1st, I was right back, right back on it. But I, it made me realize, I was like, okay, there, I need to limit my activity online. Now, these places and these apps and this stuff is not necessarily evil, but I get evil when I go near them. And, and you might say, well, that kind of sounds like legalism. Well, legalism says that no one can go to these places or do these things. But wisdom says, I can't go to these places, and I can't do these things. So what do we do when the battle, and we're almost done here, what do we do when the battle is in my mind? Okay, so like, I get it, I can close different windows, and I cannot go to different places online, or not be with certain people, or not go to like this, you know, party, or do this thing, or whatever. I realize that, okay, I can kind of create these guardrails and not do those things, but what about when it's in my mind? I mean, I can't just like... I can't, like, give myself a lobotomy, right? I don't, what am I supposed to do? James gives us two things, two things. These are really important things, okay? Again, moving away from and moving towards. First, look at what happens in the end. So, so if you ever read this book um, by Stephen Covey, it's the seven uh, healthy habits of highly effective people. He has, one of the habits is begin with the end in mind, right? So, Look at what happens in the end, because temptation, temptation, the moment where you're enticed, never tells you where your sin will take you. When the the serpent, in the book of Genesis, when the serpent tempted Eve, and he told her about the knowledge that she gained, but he didn't tell her about the shame, he he said, no, 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 you eat this, and you're going to be like God. You're going to know like everything. But he didn't tell her, hey, in a few hours, you're going to be hiding in a bush from God. And your intimacy with him, you're going to feel isolated and you're going to feel like you need to hide. And by the way, that's going to get passed down through humans for every generation. He didn't tell her that. There's some of you that you've experienced knowledge of things in this life and you got a lot more shame than you bargained for. So James says, don't be deceived because lust gives birth to sin. Sin, when it grows up, it leads to death. James says, look down the road. Look where that ends up and ask yourself, is that really where I want to be? Um, Selena Gomez, uh, I'm assuming you know who she is. I just found out about her this afternoon. But Selena, that's not true. I kind of know who she is. Selena Gomez was a few years ago. She gave her testimony at this Christian conference. And I listen, I'm not like propping her up as a model Christian. I don't really know anything about her. But this testimony was pretty interesting. But as she's giving her testimony, she's reading a letter to her younger self. So listen to what she says. It's actually really fascinating. So again, she's talking to her younger self. And she says this, being your best for those who are watching will feel like purpose in life. It will feel right. It will feel intoxicating. Again, enticed in your mind, stirs up affection in your heart. You'll take on this pressure She says, it overwhelms me to think about what you will walk through. It is extremely painful and very confusing. You will live out your mistakes in front of the whole world. I wish I could tell you it goes away, but it gets bigger and bigger, and you'll feel smaller and smaller, and you'll feel like you've lost everything. Again, gone through life, speaking back to her younger self. She says, you'll give every last piece of yourself to the people around you, hoping that this will leave you feeling better about yourself. But even this without God will be empty. 
You'll show up and you'll, you'll give your heart and every last ounce of your energy on stage. You'll, you'll think that these loud screams of thousands of people will be the thing that saves you, but it isn't. You will turn to a lot of things that will feel right in the moment and you will learn the hard way that all of it will leave you completely empty-handed. You will fight shame and you will fight guilt and it will take you years to learn that your identity is rooted in something so much deeper than the decisions you've made. And this part's encouraging at the end. She says, years later, you'll be sitting in a service and everything within you will shift. The God that has been pursuing you all along will feel tangible. The Holy Spirit will speak louder than anything that has called for your attention. And on your 23rd birthday, Jesus will become real to you. So if you've been praying for Selena Gomez, there's an answer to your prayer. If you could see the moment of your shame if you could see your moment of greatest regret before a moment of disobedience, temptation looks a lot less appealing. If you've ever known the weight, the feeling, the guilt, the shame of the morning after, the night before doesn't look so appealing. Look down the road. Look where temptation and sin takes you. The other thing that James says is look up the road. Look at the other direction. If, if a temptation has a particular power in your life, ask yourself, what's giving it that power? James says, do not be deceived, my dear brothers. He doesn't say don't be deceived. Pornography is destructive. He doesn't say, do not be deceived. Drunkenness leads to ruin. Do not be deceived. Insecure thoughts or comparing yourself to other people will get you nowhere. He doesn't point at the particular expression of your sin. He says, do not be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes from above from your father. He says, this is what James is driving into. This is so powerful. He's saying, your, the root of your problem is that you forget that your God is a perfect father. Now, I know, as soon as I say that, there's people in a room who are like, that picture is so distorted and so jacked up and that it, it breaks my heart. And I know that's a reality for many of you in the room. But when you imagine, what would be the very best version of a dad? Like, if you could create it, like, okay, my dad is this. Like, if I had the perfect, perfect dad, he'd look like this. And God is so much better than that. And if you think that God can't meet your needs because you have a bad view of him as a father, you will waste a lot of your years chasing things and people that always leave you wanting more or worse. You have to fight the battle in your, in your mind. Um, I, I, have, I have this picture for when I try to understand just how good God is as a dad. And, and this is my own personal illustration, so it might not work for you, but I hope it does. When my first daughter was born, that, um, she had some, comp some breathing complications, like, right off the bat. And so they, we got to see her. She wasn't really crying. You know, babies are supposed to go, ah, and she didn't. I was like, <laughs> we gave birth to a pterodactyl. <clears throat> they kind of look like that, actually. Um, but she wasn't making any noise, so, like, they just said, okay, we got to whisk her away. They whisk her into this other room. They got all kinds of, like, they put her in this breathing tube thing, tunnel, and then they hook all kinds of hoses to her, and we're like, what's going on? What's going on? And, you know, there was a nurse who, she didn't really know what was going on, but she made me believe she did, and she's like, it doesn't look good for your baby. And I was like, ah, oh, what is that? I don't even know what that means. And my wife is still kind of getting, like, fixed up and cleaned up. So I'm in there, and I'm just over the top, and I'm looking down at this human that I've known for, like, 
25 minutes. And she's just like, just struggling to breathe and has all this stuff like kind of hooked up to her. And I just don't, I'm like, what in the world's going on? In that moment, in that moment, there were so many things that I wanted her to know. I would have done anything for her. I mean, if God would have said, you could trade places with her right now, I would have done it in a nanosecond. I wish there was a way for me to communicate to her how intense, how powerful, how eternal my love for her was, how relentless and passionate that I was towards her. And that's not like a a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of how great God's love is towards his kids. And God says, what will it take for you to start believing that about me? Because God is a better dad than me any day and every day. So don't believe the lies. Fight it at its first impulse. That's what David did in Psalm 42. He says, why are you downcast, my soul? Why so disturbed within me? And then he starts to talk to himself. He says, put your hope in God, and yet I will will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember. David, he saw his feelings go in there, and he starts to preach to himself. He takes his thoughts captive, and he, and he holds them against the truth of the scriptures, and he wages war against them. David sings and shouts about the goodness of God until he silences the voice of doubt in his life. So how do you dislodge these things from your heart? If these things like lust and insecurity and pride and greed and anger, how do I, just, how do I get them out of my heart? You replace them with a more beautiful thing. How did Romeo get rid of Rosalind? You remember Rosalind, right? Anybody read Romeo and Juliet? Anybody ever read the story? It's great. Where does it start? So Romeo, he's all caught up about Rosalind, right? Rosalind, Rosalind, Rosalind. I don't want to live without Rosalind. I love Rosalind so much. Life is horrible without her. And if you know the story or you've watched the movie with Claire Danes, um, Ben Volio comes to him and says, dude, listen, I'm going to take you to this party tonight. And there are going to be like 100 girls there. And they're all like way hotter than Rosalind. It's not exactly how Shakespeare says it, but it's the gist. (laughs) And so Benvolio's like, come on, man, let's go to this party. Now, how does Romeo respond? He says, the all-seeing sun has ne'er seen her match since first the world began. I mean, Romeo is whipped. He says, nothing can cure my addiction to Rosalind. Then he goes to the party. And then he sees Juliet. Then he sneaks into her yard. It's kind of creepy. And he says, but soft, what light through yonder window breaks? It is the east, and Juliet is the sun. Arise, fair sun, and kill the envious moon, which is already sick and pale with grief. That thou, her maid, art far more fair than she. Rosalind who? How do I make war on sin? I fight the battle in my mind. And the best way to fight is to pursue life and that which gives true and abundant life. Set your heart on a new affection. Set your love and attention on Jesus. How do you do that? You load your mind with thoughts of God because what you think about will be what you care about and what you care about will be what you chase. 
Colossians 3 gives us a path. Paul says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Romans 12, Paul again, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do I break from being shaped by the world? By the renewing of my mind. How am I transformed into being more like Jesus? It starts in my mind. Ephesians 4, lay aside the old self. Be renewed by the spirit of your mind. Philippians 4, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Romans 8, Paul says, the mind that's set on flesh or fleshly things is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Load your mind up with the truth about who God is. And you need to make it a priority. And for some of you, it might mean that the things that take up a lot of your time and your attention, they go away for a season. You might like lose your ranking in Fortnite or whatever. I don't know how that works. But put it away. It's not worth it. For, for some of you, reading might be the thing that, that feeds your mind. Maybe your journal. Maybe you write stuff down. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's solitude. Maybe it's time with other people. Maybe it's meditation. Use your imagination. There's a Bible app you can get on your phone. It actually talks to you. Like if you're too lazy to read, you can just literally hit a play button. And this guy with a really cool English accent will read the Bible to you. Go on walks with him and just talk to him. And some of you, I know, this you're like, oh my gosh, I have heard this message since junior high. Have a quiet time. I get it. But my heart is still cold. Well, there's a second piece to this. The Spirit of God brings life and peace. And so the prayer is, God, by your Spirit, incline my heart. Because the promise of the Scripture is that the Spirit of truth in you will move you. And so when you do sit with the Word of God, or when you do sit in a moment of prayer, pray and ask God to reveal the amazing truth about who He is so that you can be the kind of people that you were meant to be. Let's pray. I'm going to ask you guys, if you would, the band's going to come up. We've got a few songs, and then we're going to go have some tacos. But um, I'm going to ask you guys, if you would, just close your eyes and bow your head. And there's nothing that's magical about that posture, but it just helps you to kind of not be distracted. And I want to give you a few thoughts and a few things just to kind of be wrestling with in this, um, with, with a message like this. Because I know already, even as you're hearing the things that are a step and a pathway to freedom, there's already the voice of the enemy um, that's speaking to you like, you've tried this before, you, you can't do it. You've tried to move past this particular failure, you've tried to move past this failure, and you just can't do it. And so I want us to just kind of take a, a moment of stillness and quiet um, and really just ask God a, f- a few things. Um, so with your head bowed and your eyes closed, again, that's just to keep you from being distracted in this moment. Ask God, God, help me to see where, where does temptation get me? What, where are the places? Who are the people? What are the things that I look at? What are the things that I listen to? And just it's, it starts that path for me every time. Where are those places? What are those places? God, just reveal that to me. God, what are the thoughts that I just continually feed and continually just kind of cultivate that steal my joy? Ask God to reveal to you, God, what lie am I believing? It, it is such a consistent play of the enemy to convince you 
that God doesn't like you and that God's against you. I mean, as a father, if someone ever convinced my kids that I didn't love them, that would be devastating to me. And so God wants you to make war against that lie. Don't give it any space in your heart. So first, just ask God, God, what is the lie that I'm believing? And then this is a moment here before we, before we sing, just right there at the table, right here in this room, take time to confess. The Bible says, God, it's by your kindness that I'm led to repentance, which means it's because of your being kind towards me that I can turn away from that which steals life from me. Confess your wandering and turn around. And then wrestle with this question, God, what would it look like to get rid of all the things that distract me from having my affections fixed on you? God, what are the lesser things in my life that my affections are going towards? What would it look like for me to get rid of those? This is not a moment about us just making big promises to God, throwing our stick in the fire at the camp thing, but asking God that we would keep in step with him. So Father, we ask, we ask that you would reveal these things to us. God, we ask that we would experience your kindness, we would experience your grace and your mercy, and most of all, God, I pray that we would experience your great love over your kids, over us, that we would hear the way you shout and sing over us. And God, through that, we would turn away from those things that lead to death and steal life from us. And God, we would find true life in you. And God, in the moments of our failure, would we know that your love, your care, your grace, your mercy never fail. And God, that you're for us, not against us. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. All I see is you.